1: Hello friends, welcome to episode 1178 of the Lots on Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland, coming to you on a Friday evening into Saturday. And today's show will break down what became a very frustrating, maddening, uh, poor, raucous, hideous, all kinds of adjectives for this loss for the Atlanta Hawks. But they fell at the hands of San Antonio Spurs at home by a 15-point margin, 136-121 to in regulation. A brutal effort for the Hawks in this game, and honestly... They were favored to win, and because of the circumstances, this is one of the worst losses of the season. I won't say that it's the absolute worst, because they have lost to worse teams than the Spurs. The Spurs are not like completely uncompetitive, but San Antonio was shorthanded after making trades. They were on the road. The Hawks were basically at full strength in this game and playing at home, as we'll get into in a second. The Hawks were big favorites, and they just did not play well from the basically from the opening moments of this game all the way through. With this loss, the Hawks have now lost four of the last six games after winning seven games in a row, and they trailed by as many as 17 in the first quarter, 17 at the half, 16 at the end of the third quarter, and it was kind of the same. There were runs in between, little flickers of hope for Atlanta, but nothing that actually came to be enough to get even to single digits in the second half. It was a very lopsided game for the majority of it, and we'll dive in now. I do want to say before we get started too far in, my apologies on the audio quality on this one. My microphone decided just to not work for me this evening. I tried for a little while to try to fix it, but at the end of the day, I tried to get the podcast up as fast as possible. So we had to go MacGyver on this one. Hopefully, it'll be back and ready to go again on Sunday into Monday, but uh, forgive me for that. Hopefully, you can get through the audio quality on this one. Um, With that said, the Hawks, of course, coming off a breezy win on Tuesday and with two days' rest. Of course, the deadline was in the middle of that. And, by the way, if you missed anything from that, I talked to Tower Jones on the podcast yesterday about my deadline reactions. And uh, that is still on the podcast feed. But the Hawks did not play a game since Tuesday. They had rest advantage in this game as well as a, of course, home court advantage. San Antonio played on Wednesday. They would actually dropped four in their last five before coming to Atlanta. And they made some trades. As I mentioned before, they sent Derek White out um, at, the, um, at the deadline to Boston. They played without the guys that were coming back to San Antonio. They also lost Thaddeus, Thaddeus Young at the deadline, so they only had, uh, you know, sort of a shorthand rotation. Now, granted, a lot of their better players did play in this game, headlined by DeJounte Murray, who's an all-star this year, but still, the healthier team was the Hawks. Only Lou Williams was listed as questionable coming into the day with uh, hamstring tension. And kind of a weird situation, actually, with Lou, not to go all the way into it right now, but... He was active, technically, in the game, but not in uniform, and McMillan said after the game that they kind of decided to give him an extra rest after it was still bothering him, but he was ruled as being available to play by the Hawks before, before tip-off, so I'm not sure if something changed in the last few minutes before the game started, but they played nine guys, as they have for a while now, until at least until garbage time, and Lou uh, at least as of now, not at least not ready to play in this spot, according to what Nate said after the game. But still, the Hawks had their normal guys in this game, other than that. And by the time that this game started, our friends at Bet Online made the Hawks nine and a half point favorites. That's not the biggest line of the season. They've had multiple games in which they were failed by double figures. By the way, including Tuesday when they were favored by 13 points. So it wasn't as bad as that in terms of the projected margin. Even before the game, people were asking if it was a must-win for the Hawks and. You know, I kind of said everything but a must win on Tuesday because of just how bad Indiana's roster actually was in that game. And the Hawks, of course, blew them out. The Spurs, as I even said before the game, were projected to be much more competitive in this game. At the same time, I have no issue saying the Hawks needed to win this game. The Hawks, given where they have started in the standings and where they're trying to come back from, these kind of games are ones you have to win like you could have argued coming into the night that on paper this might have been their most favorable matchup at home the rest of the season they do play detroit on the road and oklahoma city on the road later in the season but in terms of home games uh, this one and maybe a couple others in this in the same range but to lose a home game that they were favored by this much and do so in lopsided fashion is definitely frustrating and i can definitely see where buddy feels on that also as a note here i like to track the betting markets as people already know on the podcast but the Hawks are now only 18 and 15 this season, straight up as, in terms of like win-loss, when they are favored at tip-off. Just for some reference here, that is one of the worst marks in the league. I believe that's third worst in the NBA this year in terms of only having to win. Not, not having to cover, just actually win the game when you are favored to win the game in the market. And to only do that about 54% of the time is really bad. It's kind of a mark of an underachieving team, which makes sense. The Hawks are projected to be better than they've been so far. The roster is better than this. And they've just underachieved this season uh, compared to all that. So that's just that's just one benchmark in terms of the market. But it does tell you that the Hawks have fallen short of their projections a number of times. And it's cost them wins. And they were in, the, in spots where they were actually favored to actually win games. So we'll get into this one now in terms of the game flow. But the Hawks were down 10-3. to At the outset, the Spurs scored 10 points in their first five possessions. They made their first two threes. Um, A couple of nice drives to the rim by the Hawks in early going, but it didn't slow down from there. In fact, the craziest stretch of this game was actually the first seven minutes. The Spurs scored 34 points in seven minutes, and also 34 points on 17 possessions. And if you are doing the math in your head, that is two points per possession, which is absolutely insane. The NBA league leaders score about one15 points per possession, and the Spurs were scoring two points per possession through seven minutes. They made their first six three-point attempts, which obviously is a little bit unlucky if you are the Hawks, but if you watch those attempts, and I did, by the way, before I recorded this podcast, I went, went back and watched the first quarter in particular, and the Spurs, yes, they were open, but the Hawks, you know, the Hawks made some serious breakdowns, and you know, people were kind of getting on me for saying that the Hawks were unlucky in that spot. I'm not saying that they played good defense, because they didn't. The only thing that was unlucky was the Spurs making all of them. But if you watch the quality of attempts, it was quite bad in terms of the defense. The transition was notably terrible. I thought um, Trey Young was a big culprit there. Uh, Capella had some issues crashed the offensive glass and be out of position. Hunter didn't change ends a whole lot in this game. And in the bench, while it was better, there's still some issues on that on that side of the ball there as well. So uh, defensively, it was a mess the entire night. But particularly at the outset, and McMillan after the game, McDonald's after the game, Trey after the game, they all kind of mentioned how bad it was at times at the outset, and McMillan, we'll get into what he said later on, but it was, uh, it was ugly, let's just say. And given the result of this game, the Hawks lost this game, granted, with some garbage time, by 15 points, and they lost the first seven, seven minutes by 17 points. So from there on, it was basically a back-and-forth, like kind of locked-in game, but the Hawks you know, dug a huge hole that they were unable to climb out of. So coming out of a timeout when the Hawks finally had to stop the clock a little bit and uh, try to regroup, the Spurs missed a shot and they made their next. They made their next one. The Hawks were 0 of six from three to make things even worse. There was a kind of a crazy circus shot by Trey Young over the backboard after drawing a foul. Um, that did not count, and it shouldn't have counted, but it was an awesome shot to at least uh, look at. Rotationally, it was pretty much the same that it's been for a while now. You know, it's Herder and Capella. It was kind of funny. It's always a little bit funny, actually, when the starters struggle on defense because then you swap out Capella and Herter for Bogdanovich and Gallinari, which isn't going to help you necessarily personnel-wise. The bench was much better overall. Um, both, sides, both sides of the floor, honestly, in this game, but it's always a little bit funny when you're getting torched. It's like, oh, now we're going to go to uh, Gallinari. <laughs> but he was actually one of the better guys in this game. Uh, there was a little run by the Hawks late in the first quarter with DeLon Wright and Galladar hitting threes to get back within nine. Um, an 8-0 run overall, actually. But they lost the rest of the quarter, including a bucket in transition by the Spurs in the final seconds of the first quarter. And overall, it was 43-29 to at the end of the first quarter. The Spurs scored 1.65 points per possession in the quarter. And the Spurs are okay on offense. You now This is a team that doesn't have huge talent on offense, but they're like middle of the pack, 15-16 in the NBA. So they're not terrible, but the fact that they were able to score at will like this was uh, ugly and they were eight, they were 8 of 10 from 3 in the first quarter. With 12 assists, that's a ton of assists in a quarter, and also the most points scored by the Spurs in any quarter this season was the first quarter tonight in Atlanta. So, speaks for itself. Uh, after that, the rest of the first half was, you know, kind of interesting in some respects. The Hawks had a nice little run actually early in the second quarter to get it back with an 8 that was close as it got the rest of the game, by the way. They got it kind of close at times. There was a pseudo-dunk from Gallinari over Jakob Pertl. It was a nice play when Gallo kind of snuck it over the rim, but it worked out very nicely. He had 11 points in his first eight minutes. He definitely started out very well, and the bench had, the, had sort of a different energy at that point in time. In fact, uh, the Hawks were plus nine in their first stint without Trey Young on the floor, which is usually the opposite. And we'll get to the plus-minuses later, but it was wild in favor of the bench and against the starters. In this game, the Hawks didn't score for about three minutes in the second quarter. At one point, they had six straight possessions with empty trips. Trey Young was, uh, I don't want to pile on, he was not the only player that struggled in this game, but his first half was, I mean, remarkably bad by his standards. I think it was maybe his worst half of the season, certainly on the short list. Uh, Both ends of the floor, offense, defense, just didn't have anything going there. It was, again, not only him, but when you're the best player, you get some some more blame probably than most guys do, and he was really bad before halftime in this game. The Hawks also had turnover issues that they usually don't have. They had six turnovers in about eight minutes in the second quarter at one point. That is really rough. They got down by 18, actually, late in the first half. And then Yaka Pertl, adding some insult to injury, hit a about a 50-footer at the buzzer, and he's their center. It was his first three of the season. But the Hawks down by 17 at the half. Um, defensively, I can give you all the numbers that I will give you later on, but they gave up 22 assists in the first half, 12 threes in the first half. That's actually more threes. The Spurs hit more threes in the first half, 12, then they averaged for full game, 11. So, yeah. Uh, I'll give you all the numbers, but I'll hold off on that for now. But the one thing that I will say before we get to the break in the second half is that the Hawks and Spurs attempted the same number of threes in the first half. They both took 17 threes. The Spurs were 12 of 17. The Hawks were 3 of 17. So with the same number of shots, they were minus 27 for a three-point range. That wasn't the entire game, but it certainly was a lot of it. They shot. They actually. shot the Spurs in the first half by uh, inside the arc, but the three-point line definitely went against Atlanta in this game. And honestly, it's because the Spurs were taking wide-open shots and the Hawks were taking decent looks, but nothing great. And they also were pretty cold before halftime. Every single starter in the first half, other than Kevin Herter, who was playing with the bench as the bridge guy, was minus 24 or worse. So, yeah, it was really rough. We'll touch on that more in a second, in the second half, and a full breakdown of that, as well as a look ahead to the rest of the weekend and some comments from Travis Schlink at the end of the podcast. But before we do all that, a word from our sponsors, and the first of which is Ben Online. Online has you covered this season with more props, more odds, and more lines than ever before as football continues its march to the playoffs, right to the big game. BetOnline.net remains the best spot for all of your sports scores, your podcasts, and your news this season. And it's not just football. BetOnline has ultimate info on pro and college hoops, NHL, boxing, UFC, tennis, golf, auto racing, and much more in addition to live real-time updates of current games. Do not wait to take advantage of this amazing offer and everything that's going on at BetOnline.net this season in 2022. BetOnline, where the game starts. All right, and after halftime, it's kind of a long break, actually, because of the halftime, uh, they had to work on one of the baskets and the shot clock, so it was kind of a weird turnaround after that ugly first half. The Hawks couldn't warm up for a while. They got to give them some extra time. It was kind of a weird delay, kind of an encapsulation of the entire night from the Hawks, actually, but promptly out of the halftime break when the Hawks, I thought, had a chance because they were the better team in my mind. Down 17 it's pretty ugly, but I thought it was like, all right, the Hawks can make a run here. They were favored, by the way, by nine in the second half. So they were plus eight in the game at halftime, and they came out of the gate after a long break, and allowed a 13-4 run by the Spurs, which maybe wasn't as bad as the first half of the first quarter of this game, but in terms of like what I would rank as frustration as someone observing this team, to come out of the, of the half and get blitzed like that when you're already down 17 at home and it's been that frustrating was pretty rough, and they're down by 26 points in the blink of an eye. Now, it wasn't over because the Hawks did have their one big run of the entire game right after that, They went to the bench much earlier than usual, which is pretty obvious why, because the bench was better in this game. And also Hunter got his fourth foul, which kind of facilitated that. Trey Young was better after halftime as well. Um, But the Hawks had an 11-0 run to get it down to 12 late in the third quarter. There was uh, back-to-back threes by Gallinari and Bogdanovich that uh, forced a timeout. After a timeout, Bogdanovich hit another three. And then Trey scored when they kind of left him alone from 12 feet away. It was a nice block by Akongwu. They were playing well in that stretch. And then the Spurs called another timeout. And Bogey came out of that break, and granted, he was kind of hot, but he missed two pretty difficult attempts in a row, like heat check kind of shots. That kind of cooled the momentum a little bit. DeLon had a nice steal and a dunk, but the offense kind of sputtered late in the quarter, and after all of that, they were still down by 16. So they won the third quarter by one point, but it was a roller coaster of bad early, better late, but then it kind of flattened out from there, and that was sort of a missed opportunity in my mind. They did score pretty well. They just could not get stops. That was the theme of the entire game, quite obviously, was that it's hard to come back from a deficit, but when you can't get the stops that you need, people always focus on offense, and I'm, I'm guilty of that as well in terms of coming back from a deficit, but you have to get stops. You cannot just outscore teams when you're down by 20 points in the second half of the game. you got to string together stops. They just couldn't do that the entire night. In the fourth quarter, they had a three early, but Donovan should have three the first possession, and the Hawks didn't score. I think they only had tw- two points in the next six trips in a row, and this person just kept scoring. San Antonio had 117 points with eight minutes to go. They were down 23 again with about six minutes to go. The one faint bit of, uh, I don't even know if it was a threat, but the Hawks hit back-to-back threes with Herter and Trey to get back within 17 with like five and a half minutes to go. At that point, it's a miracle, basically, but you're like not totally dead. But during that timeout, by the way, The Hawks announced that John Collins was not not going to return to the game with right heel pain. He hadn't played in about a full quarter at that point, so it was kind of obvious that he was not right on some level. But that was the reason that was given there, and that was during that timeout break. And by the way, that's the same right heel issue that he was on the injury report with against both Dallas and Indiana. He played in those games, but certainly a little bit concerning for one of your better players, of course, and a highly paid guy, etc., um, and also they could have used him to try to make that comeback because usually they, they kind of go small with him at center when they have to come back from a deficit and they just couldn't go to him in that spot. Also, after the game, McMillan said, and the Hawks never said this until then, that DeLon Wright, quote, tweaked his ankle, end quote, and he didn't return as a result of that. So I'm not sure what the, what the severity is there. No formal updates, but we'll keep an eye on those guys as the Hawks have a kind of a quick turnaround, not a back-to-back, but they play an afternoon game on Sunday. So uh, we'll see if those guys are available on Sunday afternoon. But after that timeout which the Hawks kind of threatened. Again, I use threatened very loosely at that point in time. But the Spurs scored, scored the next seven points, and that was basically the end of that. The bench clear with like four and a half, five minutes to go. It was uh, dead at that stage, and uh, rightly so. So uh, as far as takeaways are concerned, obviously the defense was very bad overall, and that was the headliner. But McMillan said that he, he thought the Hawks were flat in the game, he said that they were outworked in the game, which is some there's some coach speak in there. You know, Nate always says that, and I'm not sure it's always true. But he, was, he seemed to be generally surprised by the effort, and I kind of was as well, to be honest with you. He also said that uh, mentally, we weren't here. That was a quote directly from McMillan, so you can always kind of chalk that up a little bit more to energy and stuff like that. It's uh, some sort of mythical thing, but the Hawks definitely did not have their A game, and he was frustrated by that, and again, kind of surprised by it. If you listen to what he was saying, Um, But defensively, they allowed about 130 defensive rating, and that is just horrific. The Spurs again are decent on offense, but nothing fantastic. They hit 18 threes; that is almost double what they average. They were 27th in the league for point attempts coming in. Uh, They also they also the Hawks allowed 13 corner three point attempts. That's way too many. They made seven of those 13. A 68% true shooting mark from the Spurs. That's just outrageous. Obviously, they had 37 assists. That is a, a ton, obviously. Uh, the Hawks did a good job rebounding on the, on the defensive glass in this game. But other than that, uh, not a whole lot to speak of defensively that was good. Uh, a frustrating effort. You know, kudos to the Spurs for making the shots. You know, sometimes you play good bad defense, I should say, and the other team misses shots. In this game, it was a little bit of both. I think it was mostly the Hawks playing bad defense, but the Spurs did have to make the shots. And particularly early on, they took full advantage. So uh, I, I I should have tip a cap to them a little bit for that. But still bad defense more than anything else for Atlanta offensively it was okay honestly it's funny as that is you know they, they scored a lot of points but that's not always the only thing but the Hawks did score about 115 points per 100 possessions which is basically right at their average for the season maybe even a little bit above their average so you can't really be critical too much of the offense there were times when the offense was bad uh, Trey had some rough moments DeAndre Hunter had some rough moments in particular Hunter didn't shoot well etc but um they had twice as many assists as turnovers that's obviously good 55% of twos is pretty good. They had a lot of offense rebounds in this game. They did a really good job there, but they were 14 of 43 from three point range. That's a lot of attempts, and honestly, they were much worse than that until the game was pretty much out of hand. They they definitely shot much better in the fourth quarter and uh, basically the last you know 18 minutes when the game was already kind of out of hand. But that was a huge loss. Um, in terms of long, long range shooting in this game. And the Hawks are the better shooting team. They just didn't make shots, and the Spurs did. Um, and also, they didn't get to the line enough. 15 free-throw attempts is not terrible, but it's below their average, and that would have helped a little bit as well. Uh, I would say, before we get to the player portion of the podcast, um, final thoughts in terms of like this performance. Uh, it was really bad. And, I, and I, I don't say that lightly. I even said at halftime, I'm not prone to hyperbole. People that listen to the podcast regularly will know that. I'm not someone that's going to come on and yell and scream and, overreact and you know try to be a little bit short-sighted i will say though this was i'm not sure if it was embarrassing but it was definitely kind of i mean hideous is the word that i'll use it was a very very bad performance this is a bad loss full stop you cannot lose this game when you are trying to make a comeback in the standings does it end your season no people were talking about that this is the end of the season no it's not i mean that, that's an overreaction i won't say that there's still plenty of games left to make the run but at the very least, this is a game the Hawks needed to win and that they were favored to win and they're better than the Spurs. They're playing at home and you cannot show up and get blown, basically blown out. This game was non-competitive to the point where they cleared the bench with five minutes to go. So I don't want to go on and on about it, but it was a unacceptable performance from the Hawks. Uh, they seemed frustrated by it. McDonavich gave a pretty fiery quote after the game about how maybe it needs to get personal on the team. I don't know. I mean, we'll see how they respond to this, but this is a tough matchup that we'll, that we'll talk about in a second. Uh, on Sunday, it's a really, really difficult matchup where this was probably a pretty easy matchup on paper, and Sunday is a, def, is a tough one. Now, this is a weird Hawks team. Maybe they get up for this one and play well on Sunday and kind of erase some of this stuff, but for now, uh, leaving a bad taste into the weekend at the very least. All right, before we get to the player evaluations and a look ahead and some trade wrap-up stuff, etc., cetera, it from our sponsors, and the first of which is Shopify. It's the sound of another sale on Shopify, the all-in-one commerce platform to start, run, and grow your business. Shopify gives entrepreneurs the resources that were once reserved for big businesses so that upstarts, startups, and established businesses alike can sell everywhere, synchronize online and in-person sales, and effortlessly stay informed. Scaling your business is a journey of endless possibility. Believe me, this podcast started out at a pretty low level. Now it's at a much higher level, and we're not going to stop there because success is a million milestones on a forever evolving path. Like mine, Shopify powers over 1.7 businesses from first scale to full scale. Reach customers online and across social networks with an ever-growing suite of channel integrations and apps, including Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Pinterest, and much more. Gain insights as you grow with detailed reporting of your conversion rates, profit margins, and beyond. It's more than a store. Shopify grows with you. This is possibility powered by Shopify. Connect with your customers, drive sales, manage your day-to-day, and Shopify also instantly lets you accept all major payment methods. Shopify has thousands of integrations and third-party apps, from on-demand printing to accounting to advanced chatbots to and beyond supercharge your knowledge your sales and your success and do it all in one place go to shopify.com slash locked on mba all lowercase for a free 14-day trial and get f- full access to shopify's entire suite of features grow your business with shopify today go to shopify.com slash locked on mba right now that's shopify.com slash locked on mba this time of year i usually have given up on all my resolutions for the new year but this time around that is not the case and part of that is because of Built Bar. Bilt Bar is fantastic. I actually enjoy eating Built Bar, and that helps me to eat healthy and eat right. If you haven't tried the Puffs just yet, you're missing out on one of the best-tasting Built Bars. Puffs are the first ever protein-infused marshmallow. They're fluffy. They're marshmallowy. They're not just a protein bar. They're an absolute treat, and they're covered 100% chocolate. There's some incredible flavors. You have churro, coconut marshmallow, banana cream pie. They're all very, very good, and they're going to be your new favorite built bars are low calorie high protein you can replace your candy bars with them because they're better for you and they taste fantastic as well go to built.com scroll down to the macros chart you'll be blown away with all the high protein low calorie high fiber low carb and everything else you can see and honestly if you compare it to candy bars it's not even close you have mint brownie coconut coconut almond and new for this month you have white chocolate cookies and cream they're all delicious and new flavors coming out all the time if you think the flavor might be good they'll absolutely make it for you it'll be delicious and it'll be good for you at built bar they're all about taste they make it taste delicious first, and then they figure out how to make it healthy. I don't know how they do it, honestly, but they pull it off every single time. Go to built.com, use promo code LOCKED15, and get 50% off your order with builtbar. Bar. That's built.com, promo code LOCKED15. Use that promo code today, and check it out at built.com. All right, and we'll fly through this now, because the player stuff is pretty unsightly, especially in the starters. Um, I'm going to actually save the bench for last in this game. I hardly ever do that, but and it's kind of appropriate for this one. Every single starter... For the Hawks, finish the game, minus 30 or worse. One more time, I'll say that again. Minus 30 or worse for every starter in the game. Now, not everybody was, like, equally terrible, but, man, that's rough. Like, it just never happens that way. The Hawks starters have been their strength for a long time, and the bench has not been, but in in this game, it was the exact opposite. The starters were terrible, on the whole, um, and even individually, a couple of these guys did not play well, which we'll talk about in a second. So, Collins left the game early, obviously, didn't have his best game at the, at the office either. Had four points in 21 minutes, two away from the floor. Um, yeah, obviously a below average night for him. Not sure how the heel was bothering him or what, but he was not good in this game. DeAndre Hunter was, I thought, very bad, honestly. Ten points in 26 minutes, but 4 from three. Could, took a couple of questionable twos. Uh, two rebounds in 26 minutes, no assists. Uh, just n- nothing on defense, even for him. Where obviously he's a, he's a plus usually, but he was getting blown by. His off-ball stuff was bad in this game. You know, Hunter's been struggling for a while. Honestly, the last couple of weeks he's been a pretty big minus. And as we talked about with Tyler Jones the other day on the podcast, um, you know, the idea of Hunter is just better than what he's currently been. I'm not, I'm not sure what's going on with him, or if it's still the wrist or whatever's lingering. But he was a team worst minus 41. I'm not saying it was only him, but he was not good. If You watch this game back on both ends of the floor. And usually defensively he's at least solid. He was not solid in this game. He was not good overall. And uh, did make you know did have five seven on two, so nothing like terrible there, but. Uh, yeah, one to forget for for Hunter. He's gonna have to bounce back because the Hawks, you know, for better or worse, basically need him ba- need him badly defensively, and he's got to be good. And he's not been good recently. Uh, Capella had a decent night, I thought. 13 points, 11 rebounds in 21 minutes. Uh, rebounding is obviously a plus for him. Um, made all six shots. He was six or six from the floor. Four offensive rebounds as well. Had a block shot. Three turnovers though. That's uh, a lot more than he's been having recently. You know, he had some breakdowns in terms of uh crashing when he probably shouldn't have crashed etc but i thought capella was one of their better players <laughs> in this game kind of a low bar to clear but you know he was not really the problem let's just say uh kevin hurter i think was better than the shooting numbers indicate but 14.6 rebounds did a four assists two steals and two blocks so he was at least active on that front but only four of seven on twos and two of ten on threes for Herter. uh no free throw attempts obviously he just you know shooting poorly for him is tough to overcome but you know he was not one of the bigger issues, but not not his best night either. And then Trey Young um, again was better in the second half, but had 18 points and 11 assists, so it may not seem that bad. I, I would implore you to watch this game, and I'm not trying to pick on Trey because again, he's I think he's an All NBA player this year. That's how good he's been. He was really bad by his standards in the first half. Again, I might it might have been the worst half of the season that he's played in terms of the overall offense, defense, um, energy level, everything, which is just horrible from Trey in the first half. And I mean, I can go up and down the list of the starters, but no one played well out of the five of them. I think maybe you could say Capella and Herter were like C-minuses. Um, Collins was not good. I thought Hunter was probably the worst of the five because at least Trey provides the assists and some of the on-ball stuff, but uh, it was just a disaster from the starters. in this game got to be better than this. Everyone knows it, uh, but it was rough. To the bench, we're a little bit more optimistic, Obviously, DeLon Wright did DeLon Wright stuff, plus 16, uh, 17 points, three steals, three rebounds, and 19, no, sorry, seven points, I should say, not 17 points. Seven points in 19 minutes, three steals, three rebounds, and an assist. Uh, was okay. I was, obviously, the team was much better with the bench on the floor, and he was part of that. Okongwe had, had some nice stretches along the way, four points, four assists for Aniaka, had three rebounds on the offensive end. Um, a little bit concerning that he had no defensive rebounds in this game, but uh, a steal and a block, had some flash plays, as he is wont to do. Gallinari was good in the first half, not as good in the second half. at 16 points on, I believe it was 13 shooting sessions. So pretty efficient there. Eight rebounds. Uh, he was one of the pluses in the first half along with Pogdanovich, but I would say probably a B-plus game from Gala. Wasn't like he was bad by any means even with the second half drop-off. And then Bogey was really good. 23 points, five rebounds, four assists, two steals. Did have that one lull after he got he had gotten hot, so credit to him for kind of carrying them back kind of into the game. But then he took two pretty, pretty bad shots after that to kind of shoot them out of it a little bit. But I think that... Um, obviously, he played well. People were asking me after the game if he should start again. Uh, I, I don't think that he should start over Herter. Uh, I think there is actually an argument right now to not start Hunter. I'm not saying that's going to happen. And I think in certain matchups, you kind of have to have Hunter. Like For instance, on Sunday, when you're playing a team that has Jalen Brown and, J- and Jason Tatum, you kind of have to have Hunter on the floor. But in terms of lineups, uh, I think with, with the way that Hunter is playing, their best five probably is Herder and Bogey on, on the wings, as it was last year down the stretch of the season, et cetera. Again, that's not their highest upside lineup because they need defense at some level. But the offense is at its best almost certainly with Young, Herter, Bogdanovich, Collins, and Capella, or whatever. Or if you want to say Gallinari instead of Capella, whatever you want to do on offense only. But uh, it's an interesting question. I think Boogie's looked better. He's not quite 100% back on defense to where he used to be. But I think he is obviously showing more than he was early in the season. So it's been one of the brighter spots recently. And he was pretty good in this game. All the bench guys who played were plus. Uh, I believe, yeah, plus 11 or better, which is so funny. In a game, you lose by 15 points to have your four bench guys all be plus 11 or better. Just never, ever happens, and that happened in this game. And then the guys who came in off the bench late, i not, nothing to add there on Knox, Jang, TLC, and Skylar Mays, but they got in for four minutes at the end of this contest. Okay, so from here, the have 27 games left. They have a lot of work to do. They're five and a half games behind the six seed, What's 27 to go, that means you probably have to go something like 21-6, and 22-5, unless you really get some leakage from the top teams in the East. They're three games behind the 8 seed. Um, obviously, the Hawks have said on the record numerous times they want to be in the top 6, and that's, that should be their goal. But even getting out of that 9-10 matchup is a positive, if you want to say that. So... Um, that's something to look at in the future. Uh, that top eight, there were still three games behind that. You know, Brooklyn is still in free fall in terms of the standings right now. Charlotte finally won, final won a game tonight. But the Nets, at some point, we'll get, we'll get Katie back, and maybe they'll be uh, more of a threat. Obviously, they just trade over Ben Simmons, et cetera. But, you know, an uphill battle, that's for sure, with where the Hawks are right now. And as I mentioned before, the Hawks now go to Boston and play on Sunday afternoon. And unfortunately for the Hawks, Boston has been awesome lately. They have the number one defense and the number one net rating in the NBA since January 1st. Now, that's only five, six weeks, but they are playing very well. They got better at the deadline with adding Derek White. Um, It's a road game. And also, it's a rare, I would say exceedingly rare, someone who's followed the Hawks for a long time, the Hawks have an ABC game. It's a standalone ABC national TV game on Sunday afternoon leading into the Super Bowl. That is a rarity. I believe it's only there. So if you want the, if you're used to the Valley broadcast, I I don't think they have that one. I think it's only ABC. So, uh, the <laughs> the more dire Atlanta fan would point out that this is a bad spot for the Hawks, obviously. Uh, they will be underdogs unless there's a big surprise in the injury report. I think Boston is obviously playing better than the Hawks are right now, and they're also playing at home. Uh, so a tough one. Obviously, the Hawks have surprised in a good way at times this year. They've also surprised in a bad way at times this year. But that's one to circle. We'll have a full breakdown of that game. I'm not sure it's gonna be right after the game or sometime Sunday night. I have some Super Bowl responsibilities for one of my writing jobs, but... We'll have content, of course, after that game on Sunday, but uh, definitely a challenge to be sure. From there, last thing on the podcast before we get out of here, um, the deadline, of course, wraps up on Thursday. But then there was there were comments today. I'm actually going to play the audio of Travis Slank's press conference at the end of the podcast. We'll kind of lead, we'll kind of leave you with that at the end. It's pretty short, six seven minutes. But McMillan kind of predictably expressed earlier today on Friday that he was on board with not making news the deadline, saying the message that they're happy with the group moving forward and now they're able to focus on the rest of the season, which kind of looks funny after losing this game, but that's what he said. Uh, Chris Kirchner reported, actually, the Hawks did not want to do a Bogdanovich and first-round pick for Derek White swap. I think I would have done that, honestly, but it was not a, not a no-brainer at all, kind of uh, running the line of being kind of fruitful for both sides. I'll say this, though. This is not this is not me picking on Chris, So I, I'm, I'm sure he reported that well, and I'm, I'm sure he's relaying what he was told. But uh, I think it is worth noting that any source on the Hawks' side has Basically, no incentive at all to actually say that they would have done a deal that they, that they actually didn't do, because it doesn't do them any good for players to know that they were basically going to be traded if the Hawks said yes to a trade. Um, obviously, Bogdanovich knows he's out there. Gallinari, I'm sure, that knows he was out there in trades. Collins made some comments about it. He was asked about it earlier today, but or Thursday, whatever, whichever day that was. But regardless, you know, I'm not saying that didn't happen. I, I, again, I'm, I'm not criticizing the reporting. I think it's definitely accurate from what Chris was told, but... I just want to say that like, if you're Travis Slank or someone in the front office, you're not, it doesn't do you any good to be like, yep, we could have made this trade. Um, I mean, yes, we should have made this trade or we wanted to make this trade and we didn't make it. So, all that said, uh, I, I get the outrage. There was a lot of discussion about it. People asked me what I thought about that. I would have probably done Bogey at first for Derek White. Um, I'm also okay with that if they didn't do that because it's not like that's a huge slam dunk of a trade. If it was Bogey for White straight up, that's more of an advantage for the Hawks. But a first-round pick is valuable as much as people don't always love picks and that value kind of stuff. But, um, you know, tr- all kinds of trades and stuff did not happen, I'm sure. You're going to hear Travis talk about that in a second where they were making calls still and getting calls. But as the later you get into the deadline, in his words, you, you get worse offers late in that process. So you're about to hear that audio. But just as a couple of highlights here, he kind of talked about a continuity as being a factor and the Reddish deal being early, all that stuff. Um, The open roster spot situation, he kind of downplayed what you heard what he says on that as well. So, nothing hugely newsworthy, which is why it's at the end of the podcast. Uh, Nothing's terribly surprising, but I think it's sometimes useful for fans to just hear directly with the context of the audio and how he sounds. You'll hear the kind of joking atmosphere and a couple of questions and some laughs between the media, all that stuff. But you will hear that. this is uh, The sound sound quality is just okay. It's an in-person thing. So that is why it's like that. And uh, yeah, that'll be it for today's podcast other than the audio from Travis. So please, please, please subscribe to the show. And uh, it does winners for us. If you do that, please leave five star ratings as well, and reviews, et cetera, et cetera. Tell a friend. Also, follow us on Twitter at Locked on Hawks. Follow me on Twitter at BT Rowland, And uh, we'll see you next time. Here is Travis talking to the media on Friday afternoon.
2: Hey, Travis. Um, just kind of what factored into your decision to, to keep this group as is going down the final stretch of the season?
0: Well, we made it. We made a deal earlier, as you're aware, so it's not like we didn't do anything. Um, you know, but since we did that, I think our last 12 games were like nine and three, so we, we feel good about the impact that that had. Kind of have a set rotation now uh, of guys. Kind of know their roles. Um, you know, we looked at a lot of different stuff, but you know, we're comfortable with this group. Uh, we know this group has the ability to be successful that we saw last year, and we want to give them that opportunity to prove it to the world that they can do it again.
2: What are the biggest things that gives you confidence that this group can, I guess Nada said, you know, the goal is not just to, to get into the plan, but to get to that top six.
0: Yeah, certainly we'd love to get out of that. You know, it's not going to be an easy test, um, but you know, that, that's certainly going to be our goal. Um, you know, offensively, we've proven all year long that we're very capable and, you know, we've seen the defensive numbers come up of late. So, you know, if you're scoring a lot of points and you're playing good defense, you have uh, ability to win some games. <laughs>
1: Couple guys have mentioned that the East has gotten better. Um, obviously, it got better yesterday. Um, how much does what other teams did in the conference impact what you're thinking is moving forward?
0: No, our focus is on you know what we're doing here um, for certain. Um, you know, obviously, there. I feel like the East has been good all year long. <laughs> um, I think when you look at the depth of our conference, it's it's been good all year long. You know, obviously, a couple teams made big moves. Um, you know, we'll, we'll see how they play out. But we, we really try to focus on us and what we're trying to do. How important is your evaluation the rest of the year relative to what you guys do after this season? Well, it's no different than any year, really. Like, right? we, we have two main times we can make changes, right? And now and then the draft free agency and we'll continue to evaluate this group. We have some guys that are going to be expiring. Um, you know, and we'll have to look to replace those guys this summer, whether it's with the current guys or new guys. But you know, we we evaluate, you know, the first half of the year, second half of the year, total of the year, uh, every year. So it's no different than any other year. I know it's a it's a broad and loaded question, but are, do you have a from line? you? <laughs> Thank you. Um, if you want to give me a broad and loaded answer, that'd be awesome. Um, do you have a lot of questions about this group and? in your mind that you want answered? About what, what well, you do. Again, not really. I mean, we got off to a slow start. I mean, everyone knows that. That's not a secret. Um, you know, we had some guys start at the beginning of the season that were coming off injuries, you know, weren't 100%. You know, obviously, we had the COVID thing that hit us really hard. I think at one point we had 11 guys in protocols. Um, you know, but if we were – you know five or six games better which isn't a lot of games like we'd be in a much different spot right now than we are um but we're here and we have to accept it and we have to dig ourselves up um so you know that's what we're going to tr- hopefully do these last i don't even know how many games we have left 25 26 whatever it is so now it's just a matter of how do they respond yeah i mean we listen everyone's aware of where we are and you know, what we want to try to accomplish and you know we just have to lock in and do it i think the important thing is to not to jump too far ahead you know, we can't start looking at Boston today like we have to take the Spurs. Every game's important for us the rest of the way, uh, and that's going to be the focus of certainly Coach Nate and our guys is just focusing on the team at hand and not try to jump ahead.
2: Was it quiet pretty much yesterday for you or were the
0: phones going off? No, the phones are always going off. You know, I think the one thing that you have to be focused on is, you know, when deals come in the last minute, they're probably not great deals. So uh, we had an idea of, you know, what we wanted to try to accomplish. And if those deals came to fruition, we were certainly going to act. But, you know, the calls that come in at, you know, 2.59 probably are not going to be deals that we're going to do.
1: How much did... Where you guys are at standings wise impact how aggressive or non aggressive you might be?
0: Again, as of yesterday, not really. Like, we we feel comfortable with the way this group's trending. So, um, you know, whether we are in the eighth spot or the tenth spot or the sixth spot, um, you know, you have to take a bigger picture uh, view than that.
2: When it came to standing pat, besides the move with Cam about a month ago, how much of a factor was it that you guys are just now kind of starting to get continuity?
0: No, it certainly was a factor, and we did that deal intentionally early so we could see if it had the impact that, that we thought it might. Um, and the fact that we have played well, you know, the last 10, 12 games, whatever it's been, um, that, that certainly was a factor that, you know, we feel like this group's, you know, gelling a little bit and never, again, when you know your roles and you're comfortable, and, and we're starting to see that.
2: Is that the biggest thing that you feel like has helped you guys since moving cam or is it also you just I mean I know there's just so so much talent that needs to be played and it relieving that a little bit.
0: I do do think that that plays a factor when everybody knows their role and kind of know what their spot is when you have too many guys and everyone feels like they should be getting minutes you know it can create issues. Um, You know, we had had a ton of depth, obviously, last year, and we have a lot of depth this year, but it seemed like last year we always had somebody hurt, so it never really became an issue. And this year, you know, we finally have everybody healthy, which is great, um, but then you have to have minutes for everybody too. Right.
2: What are the biggest things that encourage you when it comes, because the defense has been shown a little bit of improvement. What's the biggest things that encourage you when it comes to the, the defensive side?
0: Yeah, no, I just think the total effort, you know, you're seeing guys make that second effort, um, you know, whether it's, you know, coming over to help or contesting a shot on the perimeter. I just think you're seeing a more connected group on the floor uh, to steal one of Nate's words. And, mm-hmm. you know, it takes five guys to guard in the NBA. Uh, the players are too good. It's, you can't guard guys one-on-one in this initially um,
1: there's an open roster spot uh, what, what is the plan for that
0: right now oh, what are you doing next week
1: <laughs>
0: no I mean obviously we have a spot open and you know we'll look to see uh, who's out there whether we look at young guys to bring in on 10 days or whether there's a veteran that becomes available we feel like to fit in you know the one thing you know, what I would say is that we have to be careful, right? Because we, we just talked about the chemistry and having guys know their roles. If you bring somebody in, you know, that impacts that. So we won't be half half-hazard with it, but certainly we'll look to see, you know, what we feel like makes the most sense. Um,
1: Gallo has a partial guarantee for next season. Um, what, what is the current thinking of just his future with the organization?
0: Well, we'll sit down and really take a deep dive into that this summer. Um, Obviously, we like Gala. He's a big part of our team. Um, But, you know, those are decisions we'll have to look at, you know, when we get to free agency.